Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to our sermon series, The Road Called Discipline. This series will unpack how we can know God deeper and glorify Him wider through biblical exercises that lead to more disciplined disciples. Thanks for listening. guys can be seated. Hey, we're going to jump right in. We are six weeks into our series called The Road Called Discipline. And what we've seen in this place is when God's people show up, God shows out. Amen. We've been working through different types of exercises, which I think is appropriate because anytime you make a New Year's turn, everybody gets so wrapped up into doing new things. Memberships at Planet Fitness spike before long. They're ruined. Because we are naturally people that struggle with being disciplined. Being disciplined people. But our spiritual disciplines are critical if we are going to do anything of worth for the glory and uh, and the kingdom of God. There's a lot of exercises that you can use to show somebody how strong you are. You've got got the push-up. You've got the pull-up, you've got the sit-up, you've got the crunch, you've got the dip, you've got the curl. Are y'all with me? I mean, the list could go on and on, but there's one feat of strength that will catch everybody's attention. In fact, if you spend any time around kids, especially elementary school kids, it's not going to be long before you see somebody trying to do this to prove their strength, to get the attention of the crowd. And it's just the old-fashioned handstand. So here's the thing about a handstand. What catches the eye of a circus crowd? The handstand. What will pull 92,000? What will pull 92,000 people's attention away from the field and onto the sidelines where the cheer squad is? A handstand. What is it about a good handstand? I'm talking about one of those just straight up and down handstands that inspires people to go, whoa, now now that's that's amazing. I wish I could do that. And it's this, because it's real strength on display, isn't it? You can't fake a handstand. Try it. Not in here, okay? We don't have any emergency personnel. You can't fake a handstand because it takes discipline and it takes training. But let me say, in church life, We see a lot of handstands too. Not not the ones where the feet are straight up and down in the air and the hands are on the ground, but the ones that the hands are up in the air and the feet are on the ground. I'm I'm talking about hands raised in worship. What is it about someone with their hands lifted to church that inspires people to stare? The world's going on with them. Right? You know, you can be... You know, you can be worshiping, you know, you can just be, you know. And the person next to you throws their hands up in the air and just catches you off guard. It catches your attention. Why is that? Because it's a sign of spiritual strength, right? Because surely, if you sing songs with your hands up, you're a true worshiper. Right? I mean, isn't that a prerequisite? Some of you guys know, I don't know what the right answer is right here, Pastor. You got me. Good. Not necessarily. 
Because people are dangerously good at being religiously efficient. We just are. It's, it's, easy. it's easy to compartmentalize our liturgy and box worship in as just one piece of our week from 9 to 11.03 in this case. But typically from, I'm sorry, from a 10, typically from 10 to 10.40, people box in that this is my time of worship, right? Often I hear people say this, man, church was great today, especially the worship, the praise team was awesome. Most people think worship is only when you sing at church. But y'all, that is not the case. That is not, that is not the case. Worship is more than a handstand during a song. In fact, it's possible to have your hands pointed right up in the air and miss what worship is because worship is, is not how and when. Y'all catch this, it's what and why. And if you, if you get the what and why of biblical worship correct, your how and your when, that's going to fall right in line biblically. Jesus himself obeyed the Old Testament commandments, worshiped the Lord your God. He did that. Psalm 95 says, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. So what we see just right there is God clearly expects us to worship. It's our purpose but what does it mean? What does it mean that you can't be disciplined to become what you can't define? And so what in the world is worship? You guys write this down. This is PR's definition. Kind of set the foundation for today. Here's what worship is. Worship is the source of meaning we point our lives toward. I don't want you to dismiss it. Worship is the source of meaning that we point our lives toward. Friends, whatever that thing is in your life right now that gives it meaning, I mean, you know, the reason you get up in the morning, that thing you get fixated on after work or on the weekends, that's what you're worshiping because in that moment, that's what you're pointing your life toward. That's what your mind is focused on. That's what your heart is turned to. So you have to be very careful to guard your life through the spiritual disciplines because misplaced worship and idols, y'all, they can come quick on us, can't they? Because we're made to crave. We're made to worship. We're wired to worship something because we're wired as image bearers. Just like we're hungry, we're wired to be hungry because we are to hunger and thirst for our Creator. Every time you're hungry, we talked about that last week. When you, are, when you are caught up in you know, of the pull of trying to point your life to something, that is evidence that we are made to worship something. We're made to give our allegiance. We're made to give our focus. We're made to give our attention. It's who we are. So how in the world are we going to worship the way God intends us to worship? Is there a blueprint for that? Yes. Turn with me to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Typically, if you'll take your copy of God's Word, and we're not going to stand quite yet, if you open it right to the middle, you'll end up somewhere in Psalm. Then you can go right to left from there. So turn with me to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Here's what's going on with Psalm 111. 
It's a hymn of praise of the nation of Israel. It's a hymn of, of, of song. It's a song of praise. It's celebrating the great works the Lord has done before his covenant people in calling them to be his own. It goes on. It, it, it talks about how it's a praise song because he cared for them. It's a praise song before he protected them. And this song is appropriate for us because it encourages us to focus our lives on that same heartfelt fear of God so that we can live our lives in 2023 really in biblical worship. If we are naturally wired to turn our lives somewhere, just like we are naturally wired to eat, we have to be very careful how we guard where we're worshiping. It's been said that our problem is that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Man, isn't that true? Isn't that true? We, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. But what Psalm 111 does, it corrects the idea that worship is just an activity on Sunday. What, what Psalm 111 does is it, it teaches us that worship, y'all catch this, it is a posture of a lifestyle for the whole assembly every day. So let's stand together. Let's read all of Psalm 111. Psalm 111 is the handstand of real worship. Teaching us, hey, if we're going to have our hands up and our feet to the ground, are we doing it correctly, biblically? This is powerful stuff. Listen to this. Psalm 111, starting in verse 1. Hallelujah! I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that He does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He is caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works by giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are true and justice and his instructions are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. And acted in truth and in uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. Amen and amen. You guys be seated. Psalm 111. You ought to be able to remember that. One, one, one. Let me lay this out for you. If we're going to be a handstand, we're going to be people that really have a posture of worship in our life. What does that look like? The first thing is this. This is a handle from Psalm 111 you can hang on to. Real worship happens through a focus on God's worth. Real worship happens when you focus on God's worth. Listen to what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to lay a foundation for biblical worship. If we are made to crave and we are made to point our lives to something, how do we point it correctly? How do we, how do we as, a, as, a, as a Baptist church, how do we 
Act is an assembly and a congregation that actually knows how to worship biblically so that we can see the power of God manifest itself in a powerful way. This is it. This is it. This, this applies here. It applies in your car. It applies in your house. It applies in your cubicle. It, it applies on the job site. This is how it's done. It happens first when we focus on God's word. Look at verse 1. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with all my heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, the Lord's works are great. Studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused the wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. To God be the glory. Aren't you thankful for the compassion of God? Man, I am. The Lord should have flicked me off the timeline of humanity a long time ago. His kindness leads me to repentance. Talking about the work of God all throughout the Bible, especially in Revelation, we see images of angels and creatures around the throne crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We see 24 elders around God in heaven casting their crowns at his feet, falling down before him saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being Creation is giving God great recognition on the biggest stage. I'm not going to get into the whole Grammy thing, but there were people looking for Grammys. I'm looking for crowns. Amen. And that's what God is calling us to do, to live a life in his presence and his holiness that we receive that crown. And when we get there, we can do nothing but just cast them right back at his feet because we understand his worth. Worship. What's the deal with the word? Where does it come from? It's an old word. It's an old world word. It means it, it comes from the old world word worth Skype, which later became worship. Worship. And here's the idea the idea is to give great attention because of something of great value. Are y'all with me? Worship has to do with worth. It's in the word. Think about that thing you have in your house of great earthly value. What is it? Might be a family heirloom. Might be a firearm. Might be a sports memorabilia. Might be a piece of jewelry. Whatever it is, you honor its worth through discipline, don't you? You don't leave it out. You protect it. You ensure it. You, you secure it. You tell the kids, keep their hands off of it. You protect it. You're careful to give it the teaching it deserves because of the weight of its work. Are y'all seeing this? You protect it. That's what verses 1 and 3 is talking about. Hallelujah, I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assembly of the upright in the congregation. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. What does that mean for us? It means that real worship is rooted in the work of God, period. And so to magnify his worthiness of praise and approach the holy and almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, the sovereign judge to whom we must give an account, he is worthy 
of all the honor we could ever give him and infinitely more. Are y'all with me? The more, the more you focus on God's worth, the more you understand and you appreciate how worthy he is over the other things of value around us that pull and tug for our allegiance. Make no mistake, the world is pulling for your worship. We are made to worship something. And don't you think for a minute, the darkness of this world, the enemy that we have is not trying to force feed you illegitimate worship and say, worship this, worship this, worship this. We have to have our eyes fixed on what is real worship if we're going to actually be people that can cast the worth of God back at his feet. And so how do we do it? We have to discipline ourselves to the tug of war of the heart. Hey, any dead fish can float downstream. That applies to worship too. Which means we have to discipline ourselves and we're gonna, we have to fight back to maintain the integrity of our worship. If you sit back and do nothing, your worship will be lost to the ways of the world. But God has given us everything we'll ever need to consider his worth. So we can cry out in poverty and or wealth. We can cry out holy, holy, holy in sickness and or health. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. That takes discipline. So the question is, what's God's worth worth to you? Have you considered the worth of God? What's it worth? What's God's worth to you? Really, infinitely more than we could ever imagine is the only response. Worthy is the Lamb. What's it worth? Everything. See, worth grabs the attention of the heart, doesn't it? Think about it. We're made to crave. We're made to worship. Worth grabs the attention of the heart. If you see something of great worth, you better watch out because it'll grip you, won't it? Man, that thing is awesome. I, I wish I could afford that. I wish I had that in the garage. I wish I could get to that level. It grabs the heart. And what does it do? Worth, it motivates the action of the mind so you begin to think about it, right? It grabs the attention of the heart. It motivates the mind. And then what happens it controls the movements of my life and it controls the movements of your life. So we have to be very careful with worth because where your treasure lies, the Lord Jesus says, there your heart is also. You better guard your heart for what you're putting worth in. See, it's impossible to say Jesus is my Savior, worthy of it all, and live life the way you want it. That doesn't square with the gospel. So we ought to train ourselves to consider the worth because it's not on accidental awareness. It takes discipline. We don't accidentally stumble upon the worth of God. We have to discipline ourselves to see it. Look at verse 2. The Lord's works are great. Studied. Y'all say studied with me. Studied. Studied. Purpose. Trained. Vigorously. To exercise vigorously. To discipline ourselves. The Lord's works are great. Studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. So if we're going to study. To understand the worth of God. What are we here to study? We are to study his word. Y'all with me? We're, the, the, the word. 
is the clearest demonstration of the work of God. That's why we should train ourselves in study. Because when God's words, y'all, when they're wrapped around us, when they're pressed into us, we find delight in those things. And then God flawlessly reveals his work to us in a powerful way. That's been where we've been the last two weeks. The words of God, wrap them around you, the belt of truth. Press them into your life. Why? Because it helps us understand the worth of God. You're worthy to receive honor and power and praise. Lord, you're worthy. Why? Because his word is the clearest demonstration of that. And I'm here to tell you that if you want a mouth that honestly can sing, he is worthy on Sundays, you got to put your nose in this word the other six days of the week. Look at what the text tells us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Worthy is the Lamb. 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man instead. Men spoke, talking about prophecies, talking about truth, just, just truth. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Word is the one that points us. And so Scripture is, is critical to understanding God's worth in both public and private. That's why Bible reading and preaching are central at this place. It's active in small group. It's active in the preaching of the word and the sermon. The words are active in the music. A worship, worship leader is someone that takes the truth of the word and puts into a melody and sings that truth back to us as we focus on the worth of God. It's clear, most clearly seen in the word. But the, but the word isn't the only way to study his worth. We also have to discipline ourselves to real worship by studying the world. See, faith and science aren't enemies. Y'all with me? Faith and science, a power couple. Man, you understand the world which God has made through, through, the, through the worldview of the Bible, everything falls right into place. It's like a neon sign that points to, you're worthy, you're worthy. You're worthy. Man, I'm a science guy. I love it. I love to think about the intricacies of the world that God has created because it points my heart to worship. I mean, look at verse 2 and 3. This is exactly what it's talking about. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. This time every year, we, we pick daffodils. I mean, that's my favorite uh, flower as a family. And Sadie and I go daffodil hunting. And there's some, there's some honey holes. I'll, I'm not going to tell you where they are. But they're, they're all around here. And we'll get on the four-wheeler, and we'll go down, and we'll pick daffodils, and we'll stuff them in a sack, and we'll come home. It just brightens up the house. Well, last week, we were daffodil hunting. This is the third, third year we've done this together, she and I. And so as we're walking along, I see this, this stone, and it was kind of out of place. I'm thinking, what is this? bowler doing down here in this daffodil patch so i took the rock of course she's like daddy we're gonna get arrested I'm like not if you don't tell anybody <laughs> so don't tell anybody 
So along with the daffodils that I illegally harvested, I also grabbed this, this stone, okay? And, and when I get back to the house, she takes the daffodils out, and I've got a stone bed because I'm trying to stop the rain from washing my yard away. So I'm building this check dam, and I throw this stone that had not been there in this pile, and I let Josie out, our dog. And let me tell you what that dog did. From, from 50 feet plus, she recognized something new in the yard. And she, with her nose, goes straight to that illegal boulder. And she begins to sniff it. And I thought, wow. What an incredible design. I was blown away. My heart was turned to worship because I was, I was contemplating the majestic creation that God has made. That's what verse 3 says. And all that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever, full of splendor and majesty in his works. Creation has revealed the worth of God. Are y'all with me? That's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. Romans 1.20 says this. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people without excuse. Right there. How can we stand on judgment day and go, God, you didn't know you were real. Like, did you not? Look around, right? Worship, we have to remember, is focusing our lives toward God that we might respond to him. So looking at a majestic sunset or looking at a full moon should cause us to reflect so deeply that we cannot walk away unchanged. How can you look at something so splendid and majestic and then turn your face from it and go, there is no God? You can't. Only a fool in his heart says there is no God. Creation, what does it do? It solves the great conundrum. Evolution cannot explain how so much intricate design and functionality can be built into the universe. All the wonderful complexity from, from a meticulous mixture of gas in our atmosphere, y'all, to the indescribable means by which plants can reproduce, to the mystery of the tides is clear evidence of intelligent design. I mean, let's just take the moon, for example. The moon reveals to us and all wise, that the hand of an indescribably intelligent creator that deserves our focus. Let's just take the moon, for example. If you think about it, life on earth remains perfectly balanced because the moon's gravitational pull. If you didn't know that, you're in for a little quick science lesson. Did you know that the earth slightly bulges toward and away from the moon, which affects water levels at the ocean? And so as the earth rotates on its axis, tilted 23.5 degrees at 1,000 miles an hour. Those bulges move across the face of the earth. That's why we have two tides. You have a low tide and a high tide twice every day. It's because the size of the tide varies depending on how close the moon is to the earth and where it lines up with the sun. Wow. Let me tell you this. If for one day those tides did not work, the ecosystems of the coast would be gone. 
No more shrimp cocktail. That ought to get your attention. You know, low country bowl, you got the mud bugs in there. No more. That flounder, I'll take a fish sandwich. That, that premium filet fish you get at, at McDonald's, you know, that high quality fish, gone. And that's just the moon. That's just the moon. And so what does it do? It draws me worthy, 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 Lord. Draws my heart to the goodness of God. I was coming up Highway 11 this week. I was just kind of preparing this message. It was dark. And I look out into a field. And I see that red moon. I don't know what night it was. Monday night, I think it was. And so I get out my phone. Don't tell anybody. Y'all just see. I caught this. That's my truck radio. Man, God is in the details, isn't it? I'm putting my stake in the ground, my firm foundation, and I look out and I see that. You'll never let me down. Listen to me this morning. Worship gets you through the hardest times in your life when it's done biblically because it shifts your focus from the problems of the world to the king of glory. And for God, if God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? And anybody that can look at a breathtaking mountaintop or a full moon and refuse to lay their life down to honor him is willfully blind to the worth of God. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made. I hear, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from the lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. We're going to turn our hearts to the worth of God. If we're going to do a handstand of real worship, we have to study and discipline ourselves to understand his word and understand his world. There's something else. What is worship? It's pointing our lives toward his worth. And real worship happens in spirit and in truth. Real worship happens in spirit and in truth. We'll pick up in verse 5. He has provided food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works by giving them an inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are true and justice. All his instructions are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in truth and in uprightness. Let me tell you that God is not going to sin against you, He's faithful. He's true. He's worthy. Lean into it. Study it. Understand it. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe and inspiring. 
Send as many balloons as you want. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. His praise endures forever. See, here's the thing. You know this to be true. That the, the, the best experiences are personal experiences, right? When you, live, when you live through something, you have a place of reference that you can share a story. And so if you're going to worship in spirit and truth, when you think about spirit, that is, an, that is something that's personal to you. I mean, last year in the parking lot of Indian Creek Middle School, an eight-point buck crashes through the window of Cliff Roberts' truck with him driving, wheels in the front. Luke Reister is in the back. Going from, I can't believe school's about to be here, to, oh my goodness, I'm holding the buck by the horns. <laughs> How much damage does that thing do? Thousands to your truck. Right? Luke, where are Luke? Is Luke in here? He's still scared. He can't even get up on Sundays. <laughs> Here's the thing. That story's pretty funny for me to tell it, but I wasn't there. I didn't live it in real time. If you really want to hear the most amazing story that I've ever heard, you ask the man himself. And you asked to see the video footage that was pulled. Mind-blowing. Here's what I'm trying to say. What the psalmist is making the point here is that worship happens from a personal experience. And the Israelites, they turned their lives toward God in real worship because they remembered how merciful God had been to them in the Exodus. They could approach Him in reverence and faithful awe because they remembered their redemption and when you remember your redemption and you remember what Christ has done for you in surrender, how can we not just throw our hands up and say, my anchor's in the ground, my firm foundation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What has God done personally was part of their heart. It was part of their mind. It was part of their soul. It was part of their strength. And they studied it. They wrote it on their lives. He wrote it on their hearts. And we should do the same thing if Christ has set us free. See, we worship because he's not an unknown God. He's unknown to some people because they haven't studied and contemplated that redemption. But I'm here to tell you, if you have tasted and seen the goodness of God, then you know how he's carried you. Amen? You know how he's loved you. Amen? Even to death, death on a cross. So church, what I'm trying to tell you is worship just doesn't happen on accident. God alone initiates that worship in our heart. God alone does that through the working of the Holy Spirit who draws our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. And if you've ever been pricked and called and drawn by the Holy Spirit of God, you know it because it's personal. See, the most profound text in the New Testament on worship is found in John chapter 4. Y'all turn with me. John chapter 4, starting in verse 21. I think we've got some of that on there, but I threw a curveball back there. John 4, starting in verse 21. This is the story of the, uh, the woman at the well. 
Remember, Jesus is about to to really step on the scene of, of, of the kingdom of God is at hand. He meets this woman at the well. woman who's all confused about what worship is. And he steps into that place. Jesus tells her, starting in verse 21, Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will not worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Okay, that got her attention. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews or through, talking about himself. But an hour is coming and is now here. See that? An hour is coming and it, he's talking to her. He's saying the hour is coming and it is now here. The time is at hand when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ when he comes He will explain this to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Boom! Right there. And it says she just went away and told everybody, the man that knew everything about me just met me and I can can worship for the first time freely. She was doing a real life handstand right here. Worship just became personal. No longer a place, but through a person. The Holy Spirit is that person. Because the Holy Spirit reveals the Father to us. The Holy Spirit makes makes the Son irresistible. The Holy Spirit teaches us the truth in the Scripture. It's been said the Holy Spirit is the one who makes hearts. Listen to this. Who are cold toward worship. Flame with passion. In Christ. Have you ever considered that? It is the Spirit of God that awakens your heart to worship. You ever just stood and, and just wanted to, wanted to proclaim the worth of God? Where did that come from? What initiated that? It was the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the personal activity of the Holy Spirit, real worship can't happen in church. Because the Holy Spirit is always active to draw a believer. Worship, but, but if you think about that, worship can't be reserved for only in church either. Because this isn't the only place that God draws the heart of people. Because we are alive all the time. Our heart beats 72 times a minute on average. And every single heartbeat God makes possible. So you're not walking in here to worship. Yes, that, that may be the goal, but you're walking in here to worship as a carryover of how you've, how you've proclaimed his worth all week. So the Holy Spirit is at work every day of the week, pointing our lives to God. Here's what that looks like. It's the Holy Spirit of God who, who prompts you to raise your hand on a Friday when you look at a sunset. If you're standing out on the pond and you see, you see a wood duck coming in and it, backs, and it backs up and it lands and it does all that feather stuff and you're like, man... What, drew, what draws the heart to that? That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lets a good meal draw your heart to God's daily bread. The Holy Spirit takes the smell of a, of a little baby and turns the tears to worship. 
And that sermon that you hear and you say, whoa, that, that's good. Well, that's good right there. Where did that come from? That prompting, that's the Spirit of God working. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The heavens declare the glory of God. You guys write this down. When the Bible talks about worshiping in, in spirit, to worship God in spirit is to worship God from the inside out as a sincere act of the heart in response to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to miss it. Which means this. Which means a heart that struggles to worship is a heart that's disconnected from the Lord. Maybe because something has taken his place in your life. Or maybe because you've never given him first place in your life to begin with. If you, if, you, if you stand in the awe and the wonder of the world and the scriptures and your heart's not stirred to something, you ought to wake up. Check your heart. Why am I spiritually malnourished? Why am I spiritually dead? It's possible you don't have a relationship that causes you to go, God, you're worthy. See, worship, yes, it's done in spirit, but it's done in truth. Now, I want you to sit up and really catch this. Because I chewed on this for a whole day to make sure that I could say it where we could understand it. Worship is done in two parts. Are y'all with me? It's done in spirit and in what? Truth. Jesus said that. You have to worship in spirit and truth. And so worship, it has to have this balance of feelings and foundation in order to be in order for our hands to be lifted biblically. Here's what I mean. It is easy to get emotional response. It's easy to get an emotional response in worship, especially in a gathering. Why? Because we're made for emotion by one who has emotion. God is an emotional being. We see that those attributes in the word. So if we're made in his image, we are made with emotion. That emotion is what makes us human. Right? If you're emotionless, you say, wow, something's wrong. They're not normal. But those feelings have to be grounded in truth for them to be biblically beneficial. Just because you have the feels in here, that doesn't mean you're worshiping. What does that mean? It means you're human. So if we worship with, with just too much by the Spirit, we'll be mushy, we'll be soft on truth, always chose, chasing an emotional high. And that's dangerous. Y'all listen to me. That's, that's a dangerous church environment because it can lead anywhere. It can lead, to, it can lead from tolerance of anything to one extreme to uncontrollable spiritual wildfire on the other. Throwing snakes. Doing flips. Me running up and down the aisle knocking you over with my coat. All in the spirit. Y'all with me? But remember, it's a balance. If we worship by truth only and refuse emotion, then our worship will be icy and predictable. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Holy. You know? Dead church. We have to have a pure source of those feelings for it to be worship. Are y'all with me? 
Listen, I like lights. I love the band, the padded seats, the HVAC, the graphics, the media, the sermon guides. I believe God gives us these great tools because we are creatively made to seek truth. And that's the key. The key is truth. Which means lights and effects without truth isn't worship, it's entertainment. But the truth without the creative outlet of expression is not worship either. It's a machine. And you can quote me on that. And so for this place, I want our worship to be real. I want it to be full of life. I want it to be alive. But I want it to be grounded. See, if you ever go to a ball game in person, if you ever go to Athens on a Saturday, and you roll up, you'll notice that there are people in the parking lot that are caught up in the emotionalism of the tailgate. They're, they're the ones that are yelling and cheering, and they're in a frenzy over a game that hasn't even started yet. They're hyped over nothing. They're hyped over nothing but the, the, the emotions of the environment. They're caught up in the emotionalism. The feelings, y'all catch this, are baseless. But once that game starts, and the crowd roars during, during you know, if a baseball game roars during a big home run, they get emotional, as they should, because we're human doing something based on what is true. Are y'all with me? There's now actually something to cheer about. That's the idea of being emotional. There is a difference between emotional and emotionalism. And we are to be emotional in worship as we ponder the word through his word and through the world. And we're gripped in the spirit and those feelings draw out something inside of us because the Holy Spirit's doing the work. And it's in that moment that our emotions are grounded in truth. I found a clip to help us understand this because it's, it's important for us to, to get it. What I'm going to show you is, is, is a clip of a, ball, of a baseball game. And what I want to draw your attention to is the World Series. Duvall, Duvall is up to bat. And you can, hear, you can hear emotionalism in the background. You can hear just the hum of the crowd. You can hear the chop going on. But nothing's happened yet. These are the people that are frenzied over the environment, you know. And then I'm going to stop it, and we're going to turn the page. All right, play that first little part. Okay. We're going to play that same little clip again and stop it at the same place. That's good. But don't be so caught up in the swing, okay? I know the technique was good. That's why he's moving there. I want you to listen to the emotionalism in the crowd, okay? Same, do that same thing again. Okay, you see that? That's the people that are ready. They're, they're all caught up in emotions. This is emotionalism. But, but we're to worship in spirit and in truth. And that's when it's real. That's when it's different. That's when it's biblical. All right, play the whole clip. Y'all hear the different sounds in the crowd.
home run hitting machine. One of my favorite moments in ministry is when someone goes from death to life. And this place erupts in cheer. Man, what would America be if we cheered over this based on spirit and truth so loud that it hits the meter far louder than anything in Athens or in Atlanta or or Cobb County? What would happen? Man, how, how can we stand? How can we do the chop? How can we cheer and then sit in this moment and go, man, that's cool. Yay. Goodness. God is worthy. In our worship, there has to be a constant check and balance of emotional to biblical truth because real worship is where re- real revelation meets response. And so no matter what you're saying or singing or doing in any moment, you're worshiping God only when you focused on Him and you're thinking correctly about Him. And that only correct view comes through His creation by His Word, in His Spirit. We worship God as He is revealed in the Bible, not, as how, not, now, not how we might want to worship Him. We, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are welcome to our own opinions. We are not welcome to our own facts when it comes to worship. And so, we, yes, we worship Him as God of both mercy and justice, of love and wrath. A God who who both welcomes us into heaven and condemns unrepentant rebels into hell. A person's, their favorite part of church is how the music or the praise team makes them feel, but they check out when the message is preached. It's very likely you're caught up in emotionalism. We are to worship in response to the truth. You guys write this down. So what is worship? What is worship in truth? To worship in truth is to worship from the outside in as a sincere act of the mind in response to the Bible. And so why is truth important in our worship? Because it's a certificate of authenticity. If your emotions isn't grounded in truth, it's not real. It just makes you human. So how do you tell if you're doing a handstand of real worship? Because it's not just how high you lift your hands or how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you land. That's how you know your worship was real. The fruit that comes from it. So yeah, emotions are involved. But so, so is genuine life change. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I wrap up with this. When I was a boy, um, I loved to do handstands with my dad. He was a handstand master. And there's pictures of me doing handstands with my dad. And we'd do handstands at the house. And we went to a, a hotel room on vacation. We'd even do a handstand there. Sometimes out, out in public, we would do handstands. But I know as impressive as that sounds, it's all in vain. Every handstand my dad did was in vain. Because the only way he could do a handstand was to flip up against a wall. The only way his feet could stay up in the air is if his back stayed against the wall. And so there's pictures of me 
doing a handstand and my hands are down and my feet are up but my back's against the wall and my dad's back's against the wall. Because the handstand was in vain. What Jesus tells us in Matthew, Matthew 15, he's like, we are to worship in spirit and truth so that we don't worship in vain. And the way that we give our worship biblically so that it's received wholly is that we do it correctly when we think about the worth of God. When we let the truth of God draw out something real inside of us so that when our hands come down and when our jump lands, we walk different, we talk different, we, we, our, our, our path looks different. Because if what happens after your hands come down doesn't look any different than when your hands went up, you lifted your hands in vain. And so we're going to have an opportunity here just to simply think about the worth of God and let that emotion that makes us human meet up with the truth of God so that we never look the same again. I love to worship. I love to stand and look at a sunset. I love to hold a little baby. Miranda, I know that was probably creepy, but I wanted to hold her little baby. And let, let worship just wash over. I love to sit around a table of good people and good food and let my heart be turned to worship. I like to lay in the grass. I like to lay down in the dirt and just let my worship arise. Because I believe if we can be the type of people that worship with real handstands, man, our lives will be different. People will come to a saving relationship with Christ because it's real to us. So let's stand together, church. So I encourage you as our praise team makes their way up just to think about the worth of God. Think, think maybe something you experienced this week that, draw, that, that, that drew your heart to, to, the, to the worth of God. Maybe, maybe it's somebody that's right next to you. Dad, maybe you look at your children and you've not considered lately how worthy God is to give you these children. Maybe as a church family, you look at our student ministry, it draws worth. Maybe it's testimony of what Christ has done for you. Maybe it's simply thinking about the moment that you followed in obedience to Christ and were baptized. So this is a moment that we can simply worship. So yeah, raise your hands. Make sure it's biblical. Make sure it's real. Make sure it's changing. And so if there's something in your life that needs to be forgiven, forgive it. If it needs to be forgotten, forget it. If it needs to be fixed, fix it. So that when we walk out of here, we can worship Him in spirit and truth because He's worthy. Let's pray together, church. God, we do. We need you now. So, God, I pray that you would carve our hearts, Lord. For those that are maybe orphans in here that don't have a relationship with you, Lord, they've been trying to give their attention and their lives and their worship to other things other than you, Lord. And this morning, you are calling them home once and for all. Lord, I pray for that person in here. 
may not have a relationship with you, that this would be the day that they could finally say, I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the king, and I want to honor you with my life. Lord, thank you for casting my sin on the cross as far as the east is from the west. God, give me assurance that I'm going to be with you, not just now, every day, but I'm going to be able to worship you in eternity when my time on earth is done. God, if there's a person in here that's lost, God, I pray that your spirit would awaken them, draw them to repentance, Lord, they would step out and walk different, Lord. That person in here that's just struggling to worship, God, I pray that you would give them freedom and liberty and the truth that's been preached today. And they would lift their hands, maybe, in a fresh way today. God, thank you, Lord. We need you now. Work in us. Guide us. Make us what we know not. Grant us what we have not. Make us what we are not. In your name and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.